Okay, welcome to episode eight of the Bike Pack Canada podcast with uh, yours truly, Ryan Corey. Um, what's been up since uh, last week, since the interview with uh, Neil? A couple of interesting pieces have started to come together for uh, the guidebook and um, for the summit uh, coming up in uh, October here, or sorry, in September this year. I forgot we bumped it back a month. So uh, I've started to release chunks from the guidebook. So those that have uh, been sponsors have uh, seen the first routes. Um, they've seen the introduction. So that started to get out there, started to get some feedback, which is great. And uh, after the podcast tonight, I've got uh, the second route piece to go out. It's a route from Crow's Nest Pass down to uh, Waterton National Park and through uh, Kima Provincial Park up through the Flathead and uh, back to Blairmore. One of my favorite routes, actually, so I'm excited to get that one out there. Um, put out the word to the Ottawa Valley Bikepacking Collective about meeting in May. I'm going to be out there uh, for a speaking tour for Hammer Nutrition and uh, just, you know, trying to connect the dots with uh, some of the folks out in the east a bit more and uh, really try to bring their energy to Bikepack Canada and not just uh, have it be us Western folk. Um, we had Bar Mitts in Patagonia come back on uh, board as sponsors for the summit, uh, which is awesome. Um, and actually, Tim from uh, the Banff store uh, kindly offered up two Houdini jackets for our early bird entrance, which uh, closed uh, on January 15th. And I think we had about 10, 10 people enter, so the odds are pretty good. And uh, I'll be at the Patagonia store on Monday to do the, the draw with Tim. So a couple of pieces coming together. Uh, looking ahead to possible interviews for the, the podcast, uh, we've got some really great ones coming up, including the one today, uh, really diverse. And, um, you know, that's kind of the key word here. I've tried to branch out a little bit um, from just focusing on bikepacking specific um, stories. And uh, uh, as I was telling our guest, uh, Joanna, that, you know, I, I want to cover some of the, the outdoor periphery a bit more. And um, you know, the topics like the one today, um, they still very much pertain to what we're doing. And I think it's good to expand all of our horizons a little bit. Uh, so yeah, our interview today was with Joanna Croston, uh, the programming director for the Banff Mountain Book and uh, Film Festival, uh, which takes place uh, each year in uh, late October, early November, out our way in, in Banff, uh, obviously. Um, and then uh, each year, uh, I'm sure many of you have seen it, it goes on the road um, all around the world, I believe. Um, I actually first caught it in, of all places, uh, Hamilton, uh, Ontario. Uh, not the most outdoorsy place uh, you'd come to think, but uh, it, it definitely inspired uh, the audience that was there and was one of the reasons that I wanted to move back out to uh, the Rockies. So uh, Joanna's job, um, as I understand it, uh, one of the interesting facts that I learned is that she's an avid reader and, and she reads um, somewhere in the range of 70 mountain literature books each year and watches uh, over 350 mountain films uh, annually, which which I find uh, astonishing because uh, my New Year's resolution this year was to read uh, just 10 books, 10 books. And I, I, would, <laughs> I would consider it a success in, in two of those books. Um, I, I, I hate to say, say it, we're, we're, we're failed attempts for the last couple of years. Uh, the Seven Pillars of Wisdom uh, by T. T. Lawrence or um, Lawrence of Arabia and uh, Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. So I'm determined to knock those off this year. And uh, I, think, I think they actually count more as uh, 20 books each. So 10 books and, and that's a win. So uh, maybe that's, that's where we'll start the interview, uh, Joanna's is how the heck do you read 70 books in one year? It sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, I, it, I have a, the lucky privilege of, of reading books for work. So it, it is a bit of work, but um, I have to say I find great joy in it too. Um, one, of my, one of my great skills, and it may be also to my detriment, is I read really quickly so I can get Sometimes, depending on the type of book, I can get through 40 or 50 pages an hour. So, um, you know, comfortably I can read two books a week. Um, and I can bump that up to four if, I, if I'm if i in a crunch time where I need to, to really get something done. But, you know, 
if I read for myself, I, I have this like window of December um, where it's like I get to read whatever I want. I don't have to read mountain literature. So I like kind of dive into edgy fiction or something. I don't know. Um, and uh, I take a long time because I, I, you know, I can't, right? So it's yeah. exciting. <laughs> well, yeah, I was saying it's not that, that I'm being lazy in, in reading 10 books. and No, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah. just I get sucked in like the, the day-to-day reading, as I was saying, you know, social mm-hmm. media and the local newspapers, which, you know, are, are an interesting We read every couple of days. And, you know, it's very easy to just get away from just digging down into a book. So I, I knew that to some degree it was it was probably part of your job, but so I, I know what the festival you have, um, you have judges that that are on mm-hmm. panels for the, the book and the, the film festival. So those are kind of two different judge categories. Mm-hmm. So couldn't you kind of just leave it all in their hands to, to like, do they read all the finalists? Yeah, or how well, does maybe that work? I'll just, I'll just explain a little how it works. Yeah. So, uh, so the festival, um, most of our content for our stage here in Banff, um, in early November, as you mentioned, uh, we garner that content from uh, competitions. So we have a book competition and we have a film competition, and we also have a photo essay competition. So with the books, um, we get probably, I don't know, somewhere in the vicinity of 130 or 140 book entries a year. And we have what's called a pre screening committee. So we have, uh, I think it's about 40 people maybe it's 30 people reading books for us and they give us reviews and so we can establish um you know which which books may be on a a long list that we would then give to a jury so we can't give a jury 140 books that's kind of an impossible task and so we um end up narrowing it down and maybe giving them about you know about 25 titles they have to read and so I'm, I'm reading, you know, ha- basically a good portion of those entries. Some of those entries are, are not applicable, so we, we kind of um, take them out of competition and that sort of thing. But I do my best to read as much as I can, obviously. Um, and then, yeah, the jury, the jury is an international jury. It's usually three people, and they decide from those 25 titles who will win awards. And we have, how many awards now? Six awards, uh, plus a grand prize. And it's the same sort of model for the films, but obviously there's way more. There's 350 films. So um, again, we have a pre-screening committee. People watch films at home. Um, You know, it's it's an arduous task. Like some categories that we make people watch, like we, we divide the films into categories. And one of them is, is mountain sports, one of them is exploration and adventure, for example. And the exploration and adventure category, I think people last year viewed 80 films. So that's a lot. And again, they're they're rating them, and then we break it down into a list of finalists, and that's what we show at the festival in Bath. Gotcha. And the, as I understand it, the, the book component is it's relatively new, isn't it? No, it's well, it's newer than the films. The films is how we started out. Um, we're 41 years old, the festival, and it all started with um, film screening on a Sunday afternoon, and then it just blew up from there. And the films, uh, or sorry, the books, rather, are um, about half that old, so that comp- that part of the competition is is only about, uh, I, I'd have to go back and look, but I think we're about 21 years old, or 22, or something like that, for okay. books, yeah. And so how long have you been involved with the festival? I've been at the festival for 10 years, and my role, my current role as programming director, I've just been, um, i just been through my third year, so I'm entering into my fourth. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And where did you, where did you start? Uh, did you go right to that position? Or? No, I started actually working with our sponsors and partners. That was how my first job. And then I moved up to do, um, my title was uh, programming and events producer. So I did actually just the book programming and then now I'm doing books and films. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And so reading 70 books plus give or take and 350 films. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, you're organizing this festival, which is, it's, it's over a week, right? It's, about it's nine, days, nine, yeah. Yeah, nine mm-hmm. days. Yeah. Nine days. 
Nine, what's the hashtag? Nine, nine epic nine days e- or something? Nine epic days, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so nine epic days, how long does it take to get ready for nine epic days? Um, is that something that's a year-long endeavor for you, part-time job or yeah, full-time? Yeah, lots of people ask me, they're like, what do you do all year? And I just say, oh my God, you have no idea. But um, yeah, it is a full-time job and I'm not the only one. There's a, We have staff of about six people who are full-time just working on festival. Um, and then we have a, you mentioned the world tour earlier, but we have a whole different staff that works just on the tour. Um, so what, what am I doing right now? I'm, um, tidying up things from last festival. There's still a lot of things to do financially and that sort of thing, but also I'm looking ahead and looking for speakers and visiting other festivals. I do quite a bit of travel in the winter and spring to other mountain festivals, looking for for speakers and authors and, and new films that we could showcase. Um, and, you know, there's there's a another part of my job, which is to to um, meld into the rest of BAMP Center uh, for Arts and Creativity, which is the mothership, right? That is the, that's our institution that, um, where the program comes out of, where the festival comes out of. So I have a lot to do with that as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a fun time for me because I'm out there kind of putting the feelers out and seeing um, which great speakers I can bring to Bath. You mentioned uh, other festivals. and mm-hmm. I, You were over in Europe recently. I'm trying to remember the name of the... Yeah, I was in the UK. I was at a festival um, in Kendall. It's called the Kendall Mountain Festival. Okay. And I was on the film jury there. So it was nice to actually um, be on the other side of, of that. Yeah. Um, so that was great. I had a great time. Um, saw some great new films that we didn't show. We didn't get them in time for our competition. So that's always exciting to see some real um, cool films that I think will probably do really well here as well. So, is, are there is there quite a circuit of uh, you know mountain culture festivals out there? Yeah, I'm kind of naive. I've only ever really like to me it was. Banff, like that's yeah, where you want sure. to be. Yeah, Well, that's good. That means we're doing our job right. If it's, you know, <laughs> we've only ever heard of one, and it's ours. That's great. Uh, no, there's a, there's a bunch. Um, there's a really um, well known, um, long standing one in the U.S. It's called Mountain Film and Telluride. So that's okay. uh, Telluride's a bit confusing because they have like a Hollywood style film festival, but they also have this one, which is just Mountain Film. There's Kendall, as I mentioned, in the U.K. Um, there's a, I think the longest running mountain festival in the world is in Italy, in a place called Trento. So it's the Trento Film Festival. Um, yeah, there's a there's a whole plethora of them, and and in fact, we we are part of something called the International Alliance for Mountain Film, and that is this um, uh, con, you know collective group of all these mountain festivals around the world. I can't tell you off the top of my head how many members there are, but there's a lot. Okay. Yeah, and there's a great one in Kathmandu too. So they're working huh. they're all over the world, really. Yeah. Not not Sundance though. I heard that's on right now, isn't it? Yeah, Sundance. <laughs> yeah, Sundance is is more um, indie films and yeah. and uh, yeah. So where does I don't know? It's mm-hmm. hard to be objective, maybe, but where does kind of Banff fit in the the spectrum of all those festivals? Uh, well, I think definitely we're an industry leader. Like yeah. I, I, I have no hesitation in saying that. Actually, um, we get a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of filmmakers aspire to be in our program, and it's a it's a life goal for them, adventure filmmakers, to have their film screened in Banff and and to win an award. And so we are definitely at the top of of the game. Um, yeah, and and especially our world tour. Our our world tour is the largest reaching. Um, mountain film world tour in the world. We have a thousand screenings worldwide in over 40 countries. And so our, our reach is, is really broad and really global. Seven continents. Wow. Mm-hmm. So how, how, is it, how has the festival evolved uh, since you've been on the scene here? Um, you know, it's evolved. Uh, oh, that's a good question. Since I've started, I think we've broadened our market a little bit. Um, and, and been more receptive to different types of adventure films. Our roots are definitely in mountaineering and climbing, and that's where it all started. And so as a, as a director, I'm, I'm pretty staunch about uh, adhering to those roots where I can and then also 
trying to incorporate new markets into it too. So bikepacking is certainly one of those. It's a, it's a pretty niche, obviously, market, but more and more we're seeing um, bikepacking films coming to the fore and, and really great ones and people love them. And But I think it's one of those, um, for a lot of people, because we have a lot of armchair travelers, a lot of armchair climbers, people who are kind of at arm's length with some of these sports, and that's one of them that's, I think, pretty intriguing to them, so... It's always nice to to um, find new, different kind of wacky things, you know. <laughs> like us wack, say, wacky uh, bikepackers. <laughs> I don't know. Bikepacking is not that wacky. I think it's the evolution of cycle touring, really, isn't it? I mean, how would how would you describe it as as different from like conventional cycle touring? Yeah, no, I mm-hmm. I think of it as yeah, then the 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 next frontier of uh, cycle tourism. So yeah. You know, I where I started was with panniers and um, you know heavy metal rack and on the road with my dad and mm-hmm. um, I don't know for whatever reason the the idea of doing it in the mountains like never really crossed anyone's minds until the last decade really and um, now it it makes total sense for the ones that are doing it and you know from a from a storytelling perspective and uh, from a filmmaking perspective it's. Um, I would argue is, is a lot more interesting, mm-hmm. you know, getting up on the tops of the peaks where there, there aren't any, uh, cities and, um, smog and, mm-hmm. uh, asphalt roads. So yeah, no, I, I was curious. So when, when Sarah and I were at the, the festival this, uh, this past November, I, I thought I saw some previews for some mountain bike or some bike packing films. I didn't get a chance to, to see any of them. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy. You said you brought a, a list with mm-hmm. uh, some of the ones that were at the festival. Or the, were these the noteworthy ones that you? These you were listed? ones that were finalists in, in the film program. So they're um, so they were the ones we screened. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's a few here, and I'll, I'll give you this list, and you could you know share these links with people because sure. some of them yeah. you can watch online. Um, so one of them is called the Trail to Casbegi, which is from the states, um, and it's from a, a well-known journalist biker. I don't know, media guy, and his name's Joey Schusler. And um, that it's a really interesting journey, these guys. Is there were four of them. There's a Canadian amongst them um, whose name is Ross Meadows as well. And they, they did this trip through the Caucasus Mountains in, in the Republic of Georgia. I actually don't know if it's still called the Republic because it's a former Soviet Republic of Georgia. But okay. It is Georgia. Um, and it's this really crazy remote um, difficult uh route they did and a lot of it is sort of shepherd single tracks like no one's ever been on a bike on these on these trails and it's probably a lot of shepherds and and horses and that sort of thing so they linked up this this journey and um obviously encounter some i won't give the film away no spoilers but um they do encounter obviously a lot of challenges so that was a really cool film we showed um and then we, we showed another one, which I really liked, which was called Fast Forward. And you may have heard of this gal. Her name's Lyle Wilcox. Oh. Yeah. She's won a bunch of races. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. yeah she's, so, uh, her and a bunch of people are doing the Baja Divide right now. Yeah. Uh, down through Mexico. Yeah, okay, I think yeah. she's, you know, quite well known in your in your world of bikepacking, I'm sure. But, um, yeah. So this film is about her, and it's about her... Uh, trying to break the record on the Arizona Trail. Oh, okay. I've yeah. seen this. It's a shorter film. Then. It's a short film, yeah. It's only eight minutes. Is it REI or something that put that one out? That's right. It was supported by REI. Okay, yeah. 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 That's a good one. Yeah, it's a really great one. And, and I think the film is um, as much about failure as about success, so it's kind of got an interesting story to it, I think. so. Again, you can watch it online, and I'll share that link with you. Um, another really cool one we had was from France, and it was called The Aspirations of the Pamirs. So obviously taking place in the Pamirs. And again, sort of real remote adventure um, touring, um, back, or sorry, bikepacking. And um, these guys have kind of a, an interesting environmental message in their film. And they're riding these, these um, bamboo bikes okay. in the film. And it's, it's a really interesting sort of um, sustainability plus adventure, plus just, you know, youthful joy kind of theme throughout. And it's a really great one. And it's a little bit longer. It's 53 minutes. And uh, previously, last year, so actually two years ago now, 2015, we showed a, a film um, by a fellow named Alistair Humphreys. And 
And Alistair is all about micro-adventure. He's like the world's expert on micro-adventure, which means like, you know, you can have an adventure in four hours if you try and here's yeah. how and that sort of thing. So his film is about um, bike packing in Scotland um, and it's called Mountain Bikes and Bothy Nights. And, and Bothy Nights? Bothy Nights, yeah. Okay. And Bothies are, um, this is kind of a foreign term to us in North America, but Bothies are like little remote um, huts in the middle of nowhere. And, and these Bothies used to be, um, you know, were remote farmsteads in Scotland or shepherd's huts or just summer um, accommodations. So often they're quite rustic and rough and these little stone buildings. And this film is about linking up those and, and having great weekend adventures, basically. But um, it's a really lovely film. And, you know, Scotland, I think we kind of forget it can actually be a really wild and remote place. You know, here we think we have all the wilderness, but in fact, you can find it in lots of places. So it's kind of a cool one. And then I was mentioning to you um, earlier that in 2006, we showed this real amazing film um, called Asimut. And it was our People's Choice winner um, for that year. And it's a Canadian film by a fellow named Olivier Higgins and Melanie Carrier. And these are two Canadians who did this 8,000-kilometer journey from Mongolia to Calcutta. Um, and this is, a, I would say, kind of a more conventional cycle touring film, but it kind of set things in motion for, for I think, cycle tours and bikepackers to start telling their stories and recording their journeys and things. So that's a neat one to check out. I think you can, I, I don't know if it's available free online, but you can certainly buy it online. You know, as, as you were saying that, mm-hmm. I was thinking a lot, there's there's a good number of films based in Mongolia. It seems mm-hmm. like, a, for whatever reason, an obvious destination for some folk. And mm-hmm. I think I've I've seen that one. Have you? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think, I think yeah, it it's is. it's 10 I, years old, but it's quite, I mean, it did a, we did it on our tour, so. Yeah. There were lots of access points where you might have seen it. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I'll take a look for it after, and if mm-hmm. I can find it on YouTube, I'll include it in the notes here. Mm-hmm. So my, you know, I, I'd only gone to the festival, uh, well, for the first time was uh, two years ago, and kind of my understanding going into the festival, like from other people, was that it was like really climbing-centric and focused on mountaineering, and that's kind of the, the core um, community, um, would you say it's still very much about, you know, kind of that, that group of people? Well, you know, we have stats. Everyone loves stats. Um, <laughs> only about 30% of our audience actually climbs. But I, I think, you know, what draws people to climbing films, if they're not climbers, and and adventure films generally, is the, is the stories of human spirit, right? And overcoming and facing adversity and then I know that everyone can relate to that. And yeah. so I think you can relate to that, whether it's a bike film or a climbing film. Um, but as I said, our, our roots are in, in climbing films, so we'll always show those. Um, but yeah, there's tons of different, a variety of people in our audience. There's definitely cyclists. And um, I think over 80% of our audience is into overnight camping, for example, as well. So It's an outdoorsy crowd, but it's also like, some of it's more front country as opposed to, yeah, you know, doing kind of gnarly stuff. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just thinking of one of the, the talks that I was at this year was with um, a bunch of the, the mountain publishers, including mm-hmm. Rocky Mountain Books. And one of the interesting takeaways, which they all seemed to agree, agree on, was that they would, uh, I'm trying to remember the quote, they, they would stay away from they were trying to stay away from stories about the firsts and the worst. So first ascents Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of the story about the, the guy that got beaten down and Mm -hmm. lives to tell another day and decides to climb the mountain and finally achieves it and stands on the summit with both arms. Mm -hmm. I thought it's very interesting and and refreshing and something that I tried to replicate in my own writing or to be honest about the story, like the whole story. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm interested. So when you're when you're selecting the the the, the films um, that come into the festival, is that something that you're aware of? Because I imagine that not everyone has. You know, it's very obvious to go for like the the nice, beautiful shot of standing on top of the mountain. Not necessarily that shepherdess story that mm-hmm. won won the that top won award, right? Prize, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, here's the thing. I mean, 
you need to tell a unique story now, right? Because we've heard so many of those, as you said, um, worsts, you know. Um, so for you to simply tell a story of adversity is not really enough, although I think it, it does, as I said, it does, it does speak to the human spirit. But you have to tell it in a unique way or it has to have a, a different angle because it, there is a challenge now. There's actually quite a lot of this stuff out there and it, it all has that kind of same theme. And so to set yourself apart, you do have to have a unique angle. Um, and that I think that's true of books and films for sure. That being said, however, we did the grand prize, or not the grand prize, but the uh, winner of the Mountain Literature Award this year was a book called The Bond, and it is all about tragedy on the mountain and overcoming and almost dying. And, you know, it's got the sort of all, it hits all those points of something like Touching the Void. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. that film, but, um, it, you know, people were pegging it as the new Touching the Void, for example. So okay. I think there will always be that, but the challenge now is how do you tell the story a little differently? That, that wasn't with the guy that got up and was swearing through his whole talk with the there was an Irish guy or an English guy. No, it wasn't him. <laughs> no. Okay. We were all just standing there, sitting there stunned, trying to figure out what this guy was saying. Was oh, this that was Andy Kirkpatrick, I think you were talking oh, okay. about. Yeah. Okay. No, this fellow's name is Simon McCartney. Okay. And the book's called The Bond. Yeah, Yeah. okay. I do remember Andrew's, that. Andy's quite an interesting character. He's <laughs> in a different... Uh, he's, a, he's quite a, an avid and really successful climber, too. But yeah. he's definitely got a different take on life, so... So, uh, for the for the uh, writers out there, mm-hmm. um, do you do you sub, um, accept submissions that are like? Is it the publishers that are sending these in, or is it the authors? That it's a little them? bit of a combo. Um, a lot of the time, a publisher will select, um, you know, let's say four or five titles that they submit to the competition on behalf of the authors. And sometimes we get self published work, or you know, that's a little more popular these days, where people are taking public our publications into their own hands and doing their own um, printing and so on. So, but yeah, so we get a bit of both. And uh, a lot of the times we get authors uh, contacting their, their publisher to submit on their behalf and that sort of thing. But yeah. Purpose written did not make it to the festival. If you're wondering, uh, well, that's why I shifted towards mountain biking. <laughs> it's a great book, everyone. Read yeah. it if you haven't already. Well, oh, speaking of great books, um, when Sarah and I were putting together our, our, our 10, 10 to read this year list, we, mm-hmm. we both struggled a little bit. Like you kind of gravitate towards the obvious, you know, outside magazine, like top adventure books and things mm-hmm. like that. So yeah. you, you obviously get to see a bit of a, uh, a wider slice of the, the outdoor scene. So mm-hmm. what, what are kind of your top picks if you're to suggest a book to someone these days? Mm, tough one too. People always ask me what my favorite film is too. And I, <laughs> I have to, I have to think about it. I'm like, I'll get back to you. Cause there's so many, right? I mean, how can you pick just one? Um, well from this year, so the bond, it was a really one of my favorite books of this year. So I'd, I'd have to say that. Um, there was also a, a fellow at the festival this year. His name is Paul Pritchard, and he's a really great climbing writer. If you're into, into climbing writing, and his book Deep Play, which is now quite a few years old, I'm I'm I don't know if you can still get it, but it's definitely um, something to read. Um, Paul had a, a bad climbing accident where he got hit on the head with a big rock, and so now he's. Um, I don't know if he's a, if he's quadriplegic, but he's he's a he's handicapped and um, has just made huge strides in in recovery and has written a new book and has climbed again and so that's kind of a nice um, story. Uh, well, nice is not the right word. It's a great it's a great book. He's a great writer. Um, we had a fellow um, a few years ago. And his name was Tim Cope and and. Um, He's a really, really interesting fellow as well. Does a, he did a, he did this crazy journey on horseback for three years through Asia, and um, and uh, that's another one to look up as well. Those are those kind of come to the fore. Sarah Marquis, we also had this year. She's a she's a really interesting gal. Did you see her the, presentation? The Swiss lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, the, the takeaway quote for, well, maybe you can tell us a little bit about her in a second, but yeah, the takeaway quote um, 
so Sarah's always bordering on being a vegetarian or, or something mm, like that. So mm. Sarah was talking, well, the other Sarah was talking about, uh, going through the Australian outback, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the exact length of the journey, but she was, if I recall, she was trying to survive off the land. She more was, or less. yeah. And Bush tucker and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was really intrigued from a fueling standpoint, obviously. And I was, I said to Sarah before we went in, I'm like, there's no way, like, unless I'm totally missing something, there's no way it was doable. So, mm-hmm. um, she, she kind of explained some workarounds and, and I think the, the topic of hunting came up and mm-hmm. eating, eating the rodents and whatnot. And mm-hmm. she's like, I, I don't eat my friends. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> she did eat fish though. Yeah. She was a fisher, oh, yeah. oh yeah, okay. Yeah. That was funny. So, and that, yeah, that book's called Wild by Nature um, okay. by Sarah Marquis. So those are some of my top ones from this year. Okay. Uh-huh. And I'll have to get back to you on my top books of all time, though. And like the, I said, I, there's too many. I have to like <laughs> think about it a little bit. So, and in the films, what, what like what are like some of the top films that come to mind when you suggest a film to go see? Oh yeah, wow. Again, like we we showed a great film this year called The Accord, which was about um, surfing in Iceland. Oh okay. Which was a really great creative film about. Uh, yeah, obviously, surfing in Iceland. But it had this really fun twist to it where where there was this personification of the North Wind, yeah. this fellow who was playing the North Wind. And anyway, again, I won't spoil it. But look it up. It's called The Accord. Um, yeah, and you know, we showed another uh, real fun... You know, you don't often get fun environmental films, but I feel like this one was one, and it was called The Super Salmon. Um, from a fellow uh, Alaskan filmmaker, his name's Ryan Peterson, and um, yeah, there's you know sometimes with films it's all about the character, right? And this one just nailed it. Uh, there's this conservationist that the film is based around, and and he's just this wacky character, hmm. and um, the film is, has got a really great, uh, obviously environmental message about preservation of watershed and that sort of thing but it's a, it's a fun film to watch it's not it doesn't bring you down it's not a you know depressing sort of conservation film it's actually quite uplifting <laughs> so mm-hmm. at, at any time this this one just came to me has <clears throat> have you or, or anyone in your team put out uh, like an info packet for people that are new to the festival mm-hmm. on on how to properly prepare to sit through <laughs> several films in a row because I would say it's still something that I have not mastered especially the, the, those last that last night where they didn't go till oh, well, all hours of the night yeah I mean that's the that's the ultra marathon of yeah. film watching right the enduro fest uh, yeah that's when we show all the award winners back to back not all of them but a good portion of them yeah. so it yeah it's a, I think we it definitely ends over uh, you know over around midnight something like that so. yeah but, uh, I don't know how you do it. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you, get, it's you have to get up and take breaks in between, and yeah, yeah. It's interesting um, test of patience because you go into really a, a lot of the the programming. I think not really knowing anything. It's not like a normal Hollywood movie where you've seen trailers and mm-hmm. you've read up on it. Like you go into a lot of these having like no clue, maybe not even knowing how long they're going to be. At least Sarah and I did. Mm-hmm. We just showed up and. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's, if it's on something that you're not particularly interested in, mm-hmm. you have to get interested in and mm-hmm. kind of expand your, your horizons a little bit. And mm-hmm. Usually I think I've found that all the movies and are, are quite good about trying to reach beyond the, the core group, whether it's just rock climbing or, you know, mountaineering or, or mm-hmm. whatever, or the wacky bike packers. Right. <laughs> um, cool. So, uh, got some of your personal favorites. You know, I'm curious. Why don't we talk a little bit about your? Is it? I don't want to. I don't know if I want to say hobby or pastime or athletic endeavor. But you, as a as a as a climber, is it is it a prerequisite when you work for the the Banff uh, <laughs> Center? Uh, you know, which came first, the climbing or the the center? Um, climbing, definitely. Uh, I came out here. I I grew up in Ontario. I came, I came out here in the late '90s, and I did. Uh, mountaineering course here for three months, which they still offer here in Canmore. It's called a mountain skills semester. Okay. And uh, so that was kind of my f- foray into the mountain world, into mountain sports. 
and it it covered everything from uh, backpack extended backpacking to climbing to whitewater canoeing uh, to mountaineering to ice climbing. So there's kind of this broad range of sports you're doing. And clearly, I got addicted and had to live here. So I moved here immediately following that. And then started climbing really in earnest once I moved here. I did do a bit of climbing in Ontario, but... Um, Where in Ontario? Where? I, well, I was at school, and I, I just climbed at the gym there. I was at okay. the University of Western Ontario and the gym in London. In, in I went to McMaster, too. We were talking about Hamilton yeah. earlier as well, and I did do a bit of climbing there, too. But mostly on railway bridges and... Like the escarpment and stuff. Yeah, or, on the escarpment. I did I yeah. did actually manage to, to go ice climbing on the escarpment and that sort of thing. But I would say I really sort of truly and in earnest started when, once I moved out here in the late 90s. Um, and, you know, I'm not a great climber. I'm probably the world's most mediocre, you know, you know most experienced 5'9", five, 5'10", five, climber maybe in the world, like... I'm never. I don't think I'll ever surpass a certain grade, but I love it. And um, and I've done a bunch of classic mountaineering stuff around too. Uh, you, I don't know if you're familiar with the the Rockies eleven thousanders. So there's fifty four peaks that are over eleven thousand feet in the Rockies, and okay. I've done a bunch of those. Um, nowhere near hitting all fifty four, but I've done a bunch of them. So that's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I just love being out in the hills. You know, it's just such a great feeling. I have to say, though, I'm probably a more avid skier than a climber, though. Although I do a bit of ice climbing, I'm way more into skiing. I was going to say, I, I've, I, I know a very small amount about ice climbing, but does anyone actually enjoy it? <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. The films I've seen, and uh, oh man, I'm trying to remember some of the... I read some of the Rocky Mountain books, uh, just, again, to expand my horizons a uh-huh. bit. All I ever hear about is them... Uh, you know, getting sprayed on as they're climbing up, and by halfway up, they're hypothermic, and by the top, they're near death. And it, it doesn't sound like there's much room in between. Yeah, it's you know, it's definitely an acquired taste. I, yeah, it's it's this weird um, love hate thing. I think with ice climbing, you know, half the time you're freezing your ass off, and half the time you're so hot you can't even, you don't even know what to do. Because when you're actually climbing, you get quite warm. But when you're bullying someone, you're freezing, right? And you're, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit masochistic. I'll be honest with you. I think it is. Lots of people love it, and I'm sure it's really rewarding if you're really good at it. But um, but it's also, I mean, it's super dangerous. You can't fall. You know, ice is a is this medium that it's not a reliable medium, and you're, you know, protecting yourself with ice creams in this in this piece of ice that could totally just break apart and fall off and you know so it's pretty sketchy <laughs> am I, I selling it well no, does it, it sound it, like something you want to do this yeah weekend? it's funny because <laughs> as you were doing that I was like this is exactly when I've sold bike packing uh-huh. to uh, at some of our like 101 talks at like Patagonia and things like that it, it my elevator pitch is kind of along the lines of it being primal and you know you're always starving and mm-hmm. um, it's always getting too dark and you're out in the wilderness with the, you know the grizzly bears and things like that, and it, I I look up from you know my notes and the the crowd is they, they don't look all that inspired, but and then you say and it's so great and they're yeah. like what is he talking about? Yeah, yeah. No, I totally get it. You just have to do it, right? You have That's, to try it out. Do indeed. So uh, I may have missed it, but what originally brought you from Ontario to uh, the mountains? It was that course, really. Oh, the course. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then I just had to be here. Yeah, I couldn't let it go. Huh. And then, I, you know, I thought, like everyone who moves here, I think from, from out of province, you're like, oh, well, it'll just be a couple of years. And now it's 20 years later, so uh, yeah. I guess I'm a local, finally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sarah and I have been having this discussion. You know, like, we're still, like, young, and we haven't bought a place, and we're renting, and we're in Canmore and it's kind of this inspired uh, idea right now and this we're coming up on our first year and you know everyone's asking us you know how is it because we're we're on our own there's no family nearby and, mm-hmm. you know was it the right choice and you know you think about all these other places you could live and then you know you wake up one morning and you walk down into town and you see this like mountain panoramic that I I personally haven't seen in any other Canadian town and you know, you're an hour from 
from Calgary and you're right next to the craziness of Banff but not necessarily in it. And it's a, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty great place to be. So like what, like what living in Canmore, what are some kind of the standout things that day to day that you love about Mm. being here? Well, you, you and I are pretty much practically neighbors. I'm just down the road from you, but what I do love about our neighborhood specifically is you can just jump on your bike and scoot up the Highline Trail like, and get in a quick hour or two of some really terrific mountain biking yeah. with no real effort, you know, and no carbon footprint. You just leave from your house, which I think is really fantastic. Even if you live in Calgary, you know, most people will have to drive to the trailhead and then jump on their bike, right? Yeah. So there's this kind of we're kind of spoiled, but there's this kind of convenience thing that happens. And it's the same with crags. Like for climbing, you can just jump on your bike and ride to the crag. They're all really close. Um, so that for me is a big thing. I love the Nordic Center too, in winter and in summer. I just think that we have this amazing world-class facility, Olympic standard. It's cheap, you know, to buy a pass is 140 bucks for the year or something. Like, wow, you just can't, for the skiing? For skiing, yeah. 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 And mountain biking is essentially free, right? Yeah, I mean, in the summer. Just go yeah. there. So those, you know, it's that, finding that balance if you're an outdoors enthusiast, this, there, I don't think there is any better place to be. Hmm. You know, awesome. it's just, um, everything's at your fingertips. And the, the hard part is, I think, finding work, you know? Yeah, I, I, I never think about it because we, we kind of work for ourselves yeah. here. <clears throat> but yeah, finding work and then, um, you know, finding a, an affordable place. Exactly. Yeah. Affordability and, you know. Yeah. Which, you know, that's, seems to be the talk around town quite often, uh, mm-hmm. these days, affordable housing. So, uh, rounding back to, to bike packing, if it, you know, is it just, you know, you and kind of a committee sort of deciding the themes for the, the, the following year, or do you rely quite a bit on feedback you get? Like, how do you kind of mold like what 2017 would look like? Yeah. Um, you know, one of our mandates for programming is to create a diverse program. And, and that means we'll show, um, cultural films, we'll show environmental films, we'll show mountain sport films and we'll show climbing and kind of, uh, everything in between. Um, and that's really important to, to create that balance, I think, in the program. I don't think many people want to sit through two days of pure climbing films. I mean, I don't know any climbers who want to do that. Okay. So I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, creating a bit of variety is, is really important, and that's what I think differentiates us from some of the other um, festivals you might find uh, around. So... So that's a really important thing to us. And in terms of theme, you know, the theme just kind of happens organically. It's, it all happens from the content we get, right? So you might see, so last year it was really about women and, and strong women in, in the outdoors. And, and as much as I'd like to say that was completely and utterly planned, some of it was definitely not, you know. I can control it a little bit by inviting specific people. And in the case of, of 2016, I invited a bunch of strong women, and I frankly expected some of them to say, no, I can't make it. But then we ended up with this insane, wonderful program with all these really, really strong um, female voices, and it was it was great. So that ended up being what happened last year. Um, this year, I, it's a little early to say what the, what the theme might be, but, you know, diversity is a big thing these days and and um getting different ethnicities out into the outdoors and and uh even different abled people as well that seems to be something that's coming forward a bit more but uh, you know i'll let you know i i don't know yet what it'll be so if if i rally all 10 people listening to this podcast and, <laughs> and email you something might happen yeah totally cool yeah, yeah. well uh I'm just trying to think. You, you had some Cole's notes down there. Was was there anything we missed on the festival? You, actually, you know, um, something that's been on my radar for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to save up my pennies a bit, but um, the adventure. Yeah, you've got some interesting workshops. So, you, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, it's it's not just a festival, but it's you know, the festival's hosted in the Banff Center, which puts on different workshops. So you have um, adventure filmmakers workshop. You have 
There's a writing workshop too. Is yeah. There's we do a few programs which I'm I'm really proud of and excited about. Um, Banff Center for Arts and Creativity does a mountaining and wilderness writing workshop, which is a three week long residency at the Banff Center. So you you um, get a little cabin in the woods where you can write for three weeks, and there's there's only six participants, so it's a really great um, group of a small group of peers, and you bounce ideas off each other, and and there's two faculty members who look at your work and help you edit and help you shift things around. You have to come with a project in mind, and that's part of the submission process and the adjudication process. Uh, but people have been through it, have, have come back to us with books that are that win the grand prize. And, and wow. so you can see this kind of creative circle being completed with, with a workshop like that. Uh, and yeah, we do an adventure filmmakers workshop. It's 10 days long. It, it uh, bookends right with the festival, so attending the festival is part of that workshop, so you get to see uh, lots of films. But it's also, uh, it is a kind of a world-renowned program as well. We have really, really great faculty. Two guys who are in, in the industry are total leaders. Um, yeah, and so a lot of people, that's kind of a coveted thing for them to attend as well. Uh, so the... The filmmaking workshop falls uh, right around the festival, so uh, mm-hmm. late October, early November, and then the the writing workshop uh, is that earlier in the year. It's right then too, so it starts um, during the first week of the festival, <clears throat> and then it runs for three weeks or two weeks following. Okay, so mm-hmm. you mentioned that the the writing workshop. Um, you want to come to that with uh, I, more or less, I guess, like a r- first draft of a manuscript or, or something like that. Not even her. that much. You could come with a few chapters even, but you have to come with a proposal that for a book or yeah. some extensive piece of writing for sure. Okay. And it's the same with the filmmakers workshop. It's nice to come with a project in mind. Yeah. Well, I, <clears throat> I think like last time I looked at the criteria, I realized it wasn't, it didn't necessarily come across as like a beginner workshop. Like no, it looked like not. you had, mm-hmm. you had some experience coming into that. This was really to fine tune it with some experts. Is that the right yeah, idea? Yeah. It's not filmmaking 101. It's, yeah. um, it's people who are into the professional already and really want to take it to the next level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a bit of a hot and a, a jump from the, those of us with our GoPros uh, wanting to be world-class filmmakers. So Yeah, so, you know, those, guys, those are the people who should take the course and, oh, okay. and learn about um, narrative and, and storylines. Because, and, and, um, you know, there's, the, there's quite a difference between footage and a film, right? Yeah. And that's what the course teaches you. Okay. It's, it's not just about capturing great footage. It's about telling a story. It's about linking things together. It's about identifying interesting characters to, to build a film around. All yeah. those things. Yeah, mm-hmm. i got to tell you, I was just thinking uh, <clears throat> of my favorite films. and uh, We, we caught the, the best of the fest, so the, the last night there. We, we didn't go to the awards one because we learned we can't make it through that one. It, it's a little too long. So we went to the, the condensed uh, the mm-hmm. version. We saw the, the shepherdess. Or, um, Trying to remember what it's called, the Shepherdess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shepherdess of the Glaciers. It's yeah, called. yeah from Re- France. Really interesting story, and it seemed like very different from the the polished films that are out there. You know, HD footage, flying mm-hmm. off a mountain, sort of thing. Um, and then the, the one we saw last year, actually, I'd, I'd probably still have it on like my top ten overall films. The Great Alone. We were just we yeah, we did not see that one coming. We sat through that one. We we're just blown away. Yeah, lots of surprises in that one, and. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was a real crowd pleaser too. Yeah, and really um, moving and emotional film as well. Yeah, yeah, I would recommend that one too. That's a good kind of. <laughs> I should have thrown that in earlier. And then <clears throat> one that was another surprise for us, and I, I procrastinated on this one for the longest time, um, but it, it was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it still is. Um, uh, what was it? Valley Uprising. Mm-hmm. That was at the festival at one point. Yeah, it sure was. It also won surprises. Um, <clears throat> that's from a production company that's really well known to us. It's Sunder Films is the name of the company. They do a lot of climbing films and a lot of really world-class stuff. And um, 
they're kind of setting the bar, uh, definitely, for climbing films. And that one's about the history of Yosemite. Um, and it's told through a bunch of really, really interesting characters. And so, yeah. Yeah. It did, it's done well, enormously well, all around the world. And, and I will say, for, for someone that's not necessarily interested in, uh, in climbing, that climbing films get considerably more interesting the, the fewer the ropes are used in yeah, the story really, process. You know, most of the time, it shouldn't be about the actual climbing. Like, actually, watching climbing is really boring. Yeah. I don't know if you um, saw there was a, a fellow named Tommy Caldwell in the U.S. Who's, you know, and yeah. they had this, like... <clears throat> He was in Yosemite. He was trying to climb this really impossible wall called the Dalton Wall. And mass media got a hold of this, and they had this, like, live webcam on him. And it was, you know, it was it was painful to watch because he's moving half a foot every five minutes. Like, there's nothing to see, you know. It's like, yeah. it's actually really, really boring to watch. 24 <laughs> hours of someone climbing, so... But, um, you know, the footage, when it's put together in a film and it's nicely edited, it's, it's actually thrilling to watch. So, yeah, yeah there's a difference between uh, something that's well-assembled, well-curated, and, and as I said, just footage, right? Yeah. I was thinking where I saw him talk was at um, the Google presentation mm-hmm. on them. I, I can't remember what they called it, but it, it was basically uh, mapping the... Was it the Don Wall or the Yosemite? Was, they were mapping in Yosemite, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, route um, on El Capitan called the Nose. Right. So it was him and Alex Honnold and Lynn Hill. They're all really famous American climbers. And, yeah, it's, so they do this 3D mapping, they call it, and so you basically can virtually climb that route, which, uh, you know, is not in the real world accessible to most people. So um, pretty cool yeah. Uh, project, yeah. So. I, I'm just like going. I'm interested in filmmaking, so I'm going to go on a few tangents here. Mm-hmm. The so virtual. I'm not sure. Like 3D virtual filmmaking seems to be kind of catching on. There's some kind mm-hmm. of consumer cameras coming out, and mm-hmm. you know, obviously, you can do stuff on Facebook, which we've seen on yours, where you can show panoramics and things like that. Mm-hmm. Is have you started to see any of that kind of filmmaking come into the? Well, you, you cross know, your test? we have a little, uh, like the Google stuff is a great example of where, it, you know, the top sort of industry, that's where they're going. Yeah. That, you know, in terms of filmmaking, it's a little harder because a lot of that stuff tends to be user um, interactive yeah. footage, right? So how do you, how do you show that to a thousand people in a theater it's it's a little odd, right? Yeah. But um, it's definitely everywhere, and I'm sure we're going to see more of it and in a more conventional storytelling manner that would make a film as opposed to, again, just sort of an interactive program. We showed a really cool film a few years ago called Bear 71, and this, is, this has got nothing to do with VR, but it has to do with interactive human element, which combined animation, um, you know, conventional film footage, science, a whole bunch of things. And, and uh, it was a story of a bear here in Banff National Park that you could kind of track through this. Uh, it was a National Film Board piece, and a um, local filmmaker named Leanne Allison was involved as well. But it was a really neat thing. So you could, you know, go on your computer, click on a part and follow the bear around and then see where, you know, the bear had been um, doing what's called tree rubbing and watch some footage of this bear doing this tree rubbing and and trying to cross the highway, things like that. It was a a really cool thing. And and for for me, that kind of filmmaking where it's a little bit on the perimeter of, of, you know, sort of sitting in a theater watching something, I think... We're probably going to see the evolution more towards films like that, Bear Seventy One and, and VR, definitely. Hmm. Um, speaking on on trends, Grant, I don't know how long this has been along around for. It's mm-hmm. been around since I've been at the festival, but um, I imagine that branded videos are are something that's got to be new within the last 
I don't, I don't know, five years or ten years? Probably more like ten, but uh, yeah, brands are, are definitely becoming media houses. So, so yeah. you know, obviously Red Bull's a great example of that. Here's a here's a beverage company that's all of a sudden, uh, and they have their entire branch of just um, filmmaking and media production, right? And so a lot of <clears throat> brands like the North Face as well, people like that are are establishing their own media houses within their companies to produce this content. And, um, and yeah, we see a lot of, of really nice little shorts from, from companies because they're, they're building those for online consumption to help enhance the brand. Uh, we, we do get a lot of complaints about how much films are branded these days. It feels commercial to people and they're, and they're a little upset by that sometimes. But I think the reality is, as a filmmaker and um, <clears throat> as an author, you, you can attest to this, that you know you take support where you can. And if that means uh, putting someone's logo on your work, then you know maybe that's not such a bad payoff. But um, definitely there's been a trend in the last 10 years, yeah, for more branded content. And I kind of hope it goes the other way again. It, in some ways it's now, some brands are getting really clever about it in their they're not about having this big logo on the film or at the end or the beginning of the film, but rather it's more, it's more subconscious, I guess, within the film you see the brand and it's less sort of in your face because maybe for, and a great example of that is Patagonia. So they do a lot of filmmaking support, but they um, are using filmmakers to convey messages of conservation and sustainability and stuff which is part of their authenticity and their brand goals and visions, right? So they're kind of using that medium, that tool, to convey that message. So it's a little less obvious, I would say. <clears throat> well, the brands, like, you know, you see all the ads at the, not the ads, but, you know, the logos at the start are incorporated. And I, I never felt like that was... I was overly being advertised to, and in mm-hmm. full transparency, the, the first year before I, you know, I got to know uh, the folks at Patagonia. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I dove in headfirst on the whole North Face thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I drank that Kool Aid up, and mm-hmm. I think the first thing I did after after the uh, festival was I filled out their their uh, online athlete application. Mm-hmm. I did not hear back, but uh, <laughs> it was a fun, inspired exercise for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going back to the shepherdess, like if you ever need an example of it's all just about the storytelling, mm-hmm. you know, not everything else. Like that's pretty well it in a nutshell. Yeah, no, it sure is. And um, it's great for us to have content like that where it's just pure filmmaking. And and uh, you you wouldn't know if there was any support in that film. I'm sure there was probably some cultural support from the government in France or something, but you don't, you don't know that. And, uh, it is just truly a filmmaker doing what they want to do and capturing the story they want to capture without any, um, not that I'm saying brands have editorial influence, but sometimes you get that feeling, you know? Yeah. So, well, and the athletes themselves, <clears throat> I think they feel obliged yeah. A bit to, yeah, convey. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, for anyone that's wanting more information on uh, the Banff Center or the the festival, where can they where can they go? Where's the best place? Yeah, so you could go to our website, which is BanffMountainFestival.ca, uh, or Banff Center for Arts and Creativity directly. Uh, you can find us through that link too, which is just BanffCenter.ca. Yeah, and the festival's already on my radar. Whether whatever capacity it's in, as a as a spectator, a, a guest, or whatever, a speaker, um, it's something that I think I'll, I'll make the annual pilgrimage all thirty k down the road for. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a really neat. Um, I don't want to say bubble, but it feels like kind of a really neat bubble to be in for for nine days. Mm-hmm. You're, you're up on the mountain in the, at the center. It's uh, a little removed from town, uh, Banff, Banff town center. And, um, you're among, you're among mountain culture. You're among your, your peers, your people. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's a great place to find, uh, inspiration and 
new creative outlets. And, and uh, to be honest, that's, that's partly where the idea of Bike Pack Canada uh, started, uh, understanding where, where I could take a, a niche idea and seeing what others had done. So it's on the radar and, and uh, look forward to it next year. And, and thank you very much for having uh, Sarah and I there this year. It was, it was, the swag was awesome. The, 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 the speaking gig was um, uh, tremendous uh, and well-received. And um, if it only happened once, I'd be lucky. But let's try to do it again sometime. You're always welcome. I'm sure we'll find something else for you to do. Okay. Thank you, Joanna, and and thanks for uh, spending some of your Friday night. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. It's been great.